Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Behind for a wicked corner and they can be a threat from these set pieces. There he goes yeah. to Jacobson. Well, our Ramble Meets guest this week is the longest-serving manager in the EFL and Premier League. Last summer, he took Wickham Wanderers into the Championship for the first time in their history, just six years after they almost slipped back into the conference and out of the league itself. He drives an orange Mustang, he wears his hair long, he's the front man for the band Cold-Blooded Hearts. He's a broad church. He once said he'd rather be Mick Jagger than Lionel Messi. Here's Gareth Ainsworth. Gareth, you're very welcome. I hope you're well and your family in these mad days. Oh, very nice introduction. Yeah, very good, Mark. Thank you. Would you really rather be Mick Jagger than Lionel Messi? Oh, come on. Who wouldn't? Believe me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, um, what a life, you know. And, and, and honestly, that is the truth. You know, I was uh, growing up, music was a huge part of my life. People know now, mum was a professional singer. So music always in the house. Dad was a big rock and roll fan. And um I was going down that route and, uh, and football sort of take, took over. I uh, got good at football and, uh, and really, you know, as, as that age, it was one or the other. Football was, was probably more accessible than being a worldwide rock star. And, uh, and, and so that's, that's what took over, yeah. The great thing about growing up in a musical household, of course, is that even sort of by osmosis, you just absorb lots of different genres of music, don't you? Which possibly at the time times you're thinking, why are they listening to that? And then you wake up one day, we all do this, and we go, oh, I really like that sort of music. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, you know, and, and it's it's true nowadays, you know, some of the stuff my kids listen to, I'm, uh, I'm thinking, what the heck is that? Come on, let's listen to a little bit of this. And they're like, dad, that is rubbish, that is so old. But hopefully um, one day they'll, they'll appreciate it. But yeah, it was a big, the Who, um, the Stones, the Doors, you know, all, all through the house. And mum was a big 
Dusty Springfield, Brenda Lee, that, that sort of genre, you know. So yeah, really, really awesome times, and uh, and it stuck with me. Yeah, so uh, it's it's great to have. And when you say she was a singer, I mean she was a professional singer. What it, yeah. locally around Blackburn in bands in clubs? How did it work? No, the whole of the north. So she did the whole of the north circuit. I think back in the sixties, it was uh, there was the big uh, mecca bingo places and the big halls that um, big. Um, it was called big bands, so that it was actually orchestras like 10, 12, 16 pieces. Um, back in my mum who would do she she wasn't original she was covers but she was I mean she sung at the cavern in Liverpool she sung at some really big places you know the um, iconic places and the story goes uh, verified or not she got a, a record contract with EMI um, to go to London uh, to, to record and um, she stayed in Blackburn to uh, to marry my dad and uh, and have a family and that's that is the actual truth and uh, so I can't thank her enough for that but I also uh, I also have what if what, what who could I have had of a mum you know but um no she was uh she was awesome and still still to this day loves the singing loves the loves the getting up and performing as I seem to have inherited those genes <laughs> absolutely and of course what would happen today quite rightly is you would say you can do both you can have your family and you can go to London and get a record deal yeah, you know that, yeah. that's in a really positive way I've got two young daughters that's that's the that's the message that they can have now, isn't it? You can have it all. Yeah, definitely. You know, yeah. and t- back then I think it was very different. You know, and uh, like you say, this technology. Look at us now. You know, there's all sorts that you can you can bridge gaps with. And uh, yeah, but um, she had a she had a moment, and she she's awesome. And we still have we still listen to the other tune that she recorded back then. Uh, but no, really good. But she's been my biggest football fan throughout my career. You know, she's she really has. Brilliant. Have you been listening to anything different because of lockdown? Have you said, right, I'm at home a bit more than usual and I actually have never listened to quite enough of ABC. So, you know, we've all got a bit more time. I'm going to listen to this. No, do you know what? Honestly, I'm I'm so bad. And I, I probably listen more to what makes me happy. So it's more of the rock, you know, more of the... Uh, the, the Guns N' Roses Motley Crue and then going back into the Stones doors. you know I've actually with the band The Cold-Blooded Hearts you mentioned we, we've been trying to write a bit rehearsing has been absolute no-no because all the all the rehearsal rooms are closed so we have been trying to write a little bit more and we've been experimenting a little bit with the Ze- the early Zeppelin stuff so listening to a little bit of that Zeppelin 1 obviously there's famous stories about recording in in just a house where they, they set up a studio on the stairs and things like that so we've been listening to that and the sound they got for such a basic setup was unbelievable, iconic sound. So trying to trying to get some influences off that maybe is uh, is what we've been doing. Are you a better football manager for having the music because you have something to take your mind off things? One hundred percent, one hundred percent. I always say that it's my safety net. You know, my my uh, obviously everyone's got their families and they say that's their safety net, and and that's always there, of course. But people do go through issues with that. But the music has always been there for me. It's always been something that I've felt as as is my is my safety net. If if it all ended tomorrow, I'd uh, you know, I'm not the most accomplished guitarist, but I would pick that up and I would be out there and I would be singing. I'd think, you know, that makes me happy. That's I've got that. Uh, and I think it's really important to have something. I really do. I don't think that I could ever be one of these managers that you see some of them are out of work there. It's every single game that they could be at and every bit of networking and every newspaper and on the TV and and, and, and listen that's that's them that, I'm not saying that's right or wrong it wouldn't be me I, I'd go into what I really enjoy and, and I think having that allows me to be who I am on the touchline you know and, and I say that the, I've, I've said recently a lot that the amount of people have said oh why don't you cut your hair and 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 been look like the proper manager 
And I'm thinking, well, surely I do look like a proper manager. I've been in the job long enough. I've, I've had some good success. And if this is me, this is me. And, that, and that's played a big part in me. I mean, it's, it's great that you have that because you, you read and obviously I interview lots of managers and it barely looks like they've got a minute to themselves for their families, mm. let alone for any hobby. Do you know what I mean? Because there is so much going yeah. on. There are so many demands on them. So do you have to make a... I know, I know you tend to rehearse. You know, I hate saying when life is normal, but that's the situation we're in. Mm-hmm. You it's tend it. to rehearse on a Monday night, don't you? Obviously, yeah. you're not at the moment. So you, you have to make a physical... Um, ploy to carve out some time just for you not even for yeah. you and your family just for you gareth yeah. time me time yeah, it, it was yeah. you know and, and honestly mark the, the band we made it we made a decision it, it used to be thursdays but then thursday got a little bit too mental because we'd have a game on a saturday and i'd be thinking of what i'd done on the thursday what i what i wanted to implement on the friday in training to get the saturday's game the best day for me is monday we, if, even if we have a tuesday game i've already done my prep on the monday all i care about from it used to be 6.30 till about midnight was what lyrics I've got to sing next. That's all that came into my head uh, or or what note would follow up, or what would sound good if we're writing a song. And that, honestly, it was the biggest release. It was such a great release for me. And then back to Tuesday was back to back to what I do. But, um, you know, to have something down on record and to have these guys, what you know, one, one was a, a kitchen designer. One of them uh, works for an electrical company and one of them works for a film company, but all part-time, the musicians. That's my band. They're normal people. It was brilliant just to mix with these and and just get our songs together. It was so cool. It was really, really good. Monday nights I miss and uh, and hopefully we can get back to it soon. Must be You must be desperate to play a gig in front of a full crowd as much as you mm-hmm. are to have a full crowd at a Wickham home game. Yeah, you know it's uh, it's been it's been missed big time. You know we had a, we had a Christmas. Uh, it wasn't really a gig; it was an acoustic set that we did. That you had to stay under a certain amount of decibels, and everyone had to be sat down eating in the place. And there was only about forty people in there, but that was that's the best gig I've played in the last six months. But it was it was really tough because obviously being the rocker uh, that I want to be, uh, you know, keeping it, keeping it low is, uh, is tough, but uh, it was a good, it was a good Christmas gig. And, and obviously the, the Christmas song we did with Petacek and Wills and the Willing, that, that, that was a great release as well. Um, but yeah, I'd love the crowds back at football and I'd love to be able to go and gig on a Saturday night somewhere and really blast it out. <laughs> the, the level of responsibility being a manager, Gareth, is, is enormous anyway, but at the moment, almost this week, never been more so. You know, more testing for EFL clubs, which is great, but even more responsibility on footballers because of those who did breach protocols over Christmas and New Year to stick to what the government say because you know that you're incredibly privileged to still be able to do your jobs when a lot of people haven't got a job or can't do their jobs in a normal way. So my question is, are you feeling even more responsibility and saying to all your staff and players please stick to what we've been asked to do because otherwise we not be, may not be able to play football at all. Yeah, I think you've, you've hit the nail there, Mark. We are so privileged still to be able to work. I can't imagine what some people... I mean, I had a slight taste of it March, April. We all had that slight taste of nothing, no work, finished. And that was tough. And the sun was shining and we could all go in our gardens. Now, some of these people who've been told they can't go to work, I do feel for them. I'm so lucky I get to mix with... My people, not not closely, believe me, we do do it right at Wickham Wonders. We're quite proud of the record we've had with the with the COVID incidents there. Um, we, we're very minimal. Uh, and I sound like a broken record sometimes at work saying, boys, can we be two metres apart? Boys, can you can you eat separately? Can you? And it's, it's a really tough thing to do, but we have to do it. We really do. We're examples to people and we are so privileged at the moment because people want our sport to still go because it lifts them, but we've got to do it responsibly because... Um, 
like you say, it's it's a real serious issue, and uh, and I as a manager definitely have the responsibilities of, of my players, my club, and football in general. Gareth, how on earth are you going to say to them, boys, when you score a goal, don't hug each other? I yeah. mean, because it's the instinct. It doesn't matter if you're five year old playing in the playground; it's an instinct. Yeah. You know, how how yeah. on earth do you get that message across? It's absolutely in every team we've played so far this season. Whoever scored, whether it's that team, our team. The boys get together, like you say. It is, it is the instinct. I actually also think that people watching that on TV, they have that moment of, of they they enjoy that moment with us. That's going to be really tough to stop. We have said it, and I think there's a couple of issues of, of people hugging each other and getting too close. It, it, it's the face to face thing. I think that's the the big one. So there's all sorts of guidelines coming out. The EFL seems to change them weekly or, or, or twice twice a week or, and we've got to follow them and I understand that there's more qualified people than us to put these rules in place as long as we follow them um, but it is tough it is tough when somebody scores because uh, like you say a five year old in a playground wants to jump on his mates never mind a, a person who's scored an important goal in the championship one, two champ premiership whatever it is it's such a great feeling and anyone who has scored they'll know what I'm talking about are you keeping an eye on your players even more as much as you can Gareth away from training as well because you never, you know, you can't look after them twenty four seven, as we all know. But you know, there may be some of them who are finding lockdown harder than others, who may be living mm. on their own, or yeah. just moved to the club, moved to a new area, having a breakup with a girlfriend, or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. huge in football now. On the mental side, we know over the past sort of five years, really, is it's really come to the front now. And the mental side is huge, and it's something we pride ourselves again at Wickham Wanderers. We have a sports psychologist who, who comes in uh, weekly and. And you're right. We have to t- we have to look out for some of these signs now. These uh, these lonely signs where some of the boys would have even going to a coffee shop. You feel around people, but you, you know these boys will be in their house on their own. There's not much open. There's not much to do. What are they doing? And I really coincidentally, I, I had a, a talk with my physio this morning. Um, we could be um, we we could be victim of some games being called off because obviously squads are getting hit by coronavirus. So we have to we have to have contingency plans in place. And I said to my physio this morning, I said, maybe we could take a couple of days off here, a couple of days off here. And he actually said to me, but when we give them days off, we're not in control of them. It's easiest sometimes when they come in and we can control them. And he's got a great point. You know, what are they doing away? It's a trust issue, you know, and it's giving them the right information and giving them the right tools to to hopefully deal with this isolation that some of them, I've got boys, 21-year-olds who are from north, the north. They live in, they live in a house and that we supply for them. What? You know, it's, it must be really tough for them. So, uh, yeah, we, we keep an eye out for all the signs that um, my boys are in good health. That must be in stark contrast. Going back to the beginning of your playing career, you're desperate to make it for your hometown club and Blackburn call you in one day and say, you're not going to make it. And, you know, the stories, mm-hmm. let's be honest, Gareth, of your generation, that was it, wasn't it? You were, there to, you, you, you were there to look, you had to fend for yourself, didn't you? That was and it. now it you was... could compare with what it is yeah. today when we're talking about how you look after your players today. Because in those days, that yeah. was off you go. No exit route at all. Yeah, no, no exit route at all. I remember, actually, you say on a day when they called me, it was my 18th birthday, right oh. bang on the day it was. Oh. Yeah, it was my 18th. <laughs> may the 10th is my birthday. And, and historically, May is always the month where they'll make the decisions because it's the end of the season. And right, I'm bang on the 18th birthday. So I remember writing a letter um, with my dad uh, to maybe the 12 or 15 local clubs saying I've been released. And there's none of that. And it's all internet like we're doing now. It's all phone calls. It's everyone had mobile back then. Nobody had a mobile phone. So, um, so like you say, in those days, there was no way other than that to do. You had to deal with it. And I think that it forced you into being a problem solver. It forced you into 
fending for yourself a little bit more. I'm not saying it made us tougher, no, no way, because back then there were people who were struggling, but it just wasn't as, as known and we haven't had the information back then. Now we're well aware, you know, we're really aware of all this information, the social media and, and, and the exit routes that need to be put in place for these boys because we, we have created this society that we, we, we have to look after them, rightly so, you know, rightly so. Gone are the days of hard knocks and, and all that sort of stuff. And that, that I'm, I'm all for that we really do have to work hard now looking after our players and, and it's, it's very important your dad was key wasn't he in in, in helping yeah. you convincing you encouraging you that you could still have a career yeah he was the one yeah. he was the one who um who told me um to, to, to keep going he said uh at 18 years old I, I get released after two years at Blackburn and and really thought I had a chance I had a, I had a good game in the reserves that week I remember the game and and um getting released was the the biggest hit of my, I'd never had anything like that, you know? And, uh, uh, he, he said to me, um, I remember, I remember back in the days of maybe having to go and sign on because I needed income support, you know? And, and I had no wage coming in. I had no skills. I haven't been to college. I wasn't having university. I was nowhere. I was 18 years old, right? No air levels. I haven't been to college. I've got no university to go to. What happens now? Dad just said, look, you'll make it. He said, I know football. He said, you'll make it. Um, a little bit emotional because I remember the day, but uh, he, he, he just guaranteed me. He said, "Look, you don't have to pay me and your mum anything at the moment. Just, I believe in you." And um, you know, it, within six months, I'd made my my football league debut for Preston North End at, at Shrewsbury Town, and um, never looked back. And again, a lucky guy, lucky guy to have the family I've had to support me all through. Because they're, they're sliding doors moments in everyone's life, Gareth, aren't there? And, I, and I'm yeah. guessing you played with people at Blackburn who were also released, who were as good as you, who didn't have that support, yeah. Yeah. who probably within, by the time they were 20, may have been out of football altogether. I'm not even talking about league football, may not have even played non-league football. No, of course. The breaks the breaks are there. My, my yeah. break was that I, I had my support of my dad and I went to train with Preston North End uh, guy. Um, a guy called Walter Joyce invited me and um, um, rest his soul he's the father of Warren Joyce and, and he, he took me and Walter and I just trained with Preston I wasn't looking for a contract and I just trained with them and uh, Northwich Victoria were looking for a right winger Simon McElroy was the uh, manager I went to play for Northwich Victoria another great moment from my dad he said don't sign a contract with Northwich Victoria because you'll tie yourself here you may never get back in the football league Sammy McElroy was desperate to sign me he never signed and how's this for a story? This this would never happen nowadays. Thursday evening, I'm at home in Blackburn uh, and we have a game on Saturday for Northwich. And a scout from Preston North End rings me, rings the house, the house phone with the one phone that you have in the hallway. I answer the phone and say, he said, oh, it's um, such and such from, uh, from Preston North End. He said, do you fancy playing for the first team on Saturday? <laughs> that that was the call. And I'm, I'm 19 years old or 18, 18, I think, 18, 19 years old. Going and, and I said, Dad, um, it's Scouts asking me, do I want to play for Preston North End's first team away at Shrewsbury on the Saturday? They've lost, I think Lee Ashcroft was injured. They lost a couple of players. And I'm, and I'm thinking, prank calls weren't even invented by then. No. So this was genuine, you know. This no was one a heard of Jeremy call. Beadle yeah, then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was, um, yeah, it was absolutely surreal. So I played on the Saturday at Shrewsbury Town away. I had no contract. I'd, all I signed was the document that allowed me to play in the Football League. Northwich was devastated. So I had to ring Sammy saying, I'm not playing for you on Saturday. I'm playing for Preston North End. Um, they gave me a contract after that. And again, another release at the end of that season, but Cambridge, John Beck, and wow, just just went then. But um, 
that that day, I mean, that wouldn't happen now. You'd have someone in the academy, you'd have someone yeah, yeah, ready, you'd get a long player in, you know, but with yeah. me on a Thursday thinking, hell, we've got an all right winger. Ring, ring that lad who's been on trial with Walter. It's a, yeah. it's a crazy story. I mean, I think it's amazing because I remember Mark Mark Bright, you know, Crystal Palace, who I work with a lot, Mark, lovely man, saying to me, he went, honestly, he went, believe me, Mark, me, Mark, that I there were players better than me in the school team. But, you know, but that's only a quarter of the story. You have to have the determination. You have to have the luck. You've obviously got to stay free of injury. And you've got to be able to take the, you know, the knockbacks. You've got to be able to take it. No one's career in any, in, in any field of life just goes like that. You've got to be able to deal with it. So there are some people who couldn't deal with it aged 18 like you could. Who just, yeah, you know, I, I they were, that was it. The, the, the dream I, was I, over. They're out of the game. I totally agree. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. For me, here's... here's 70% of the game honestly it really is you've you got to have that you've got to have that basic level of talent but I I remember being on the pitch and I found a way to win I'd find a way to to win that tackle to win that header to get past my fullback even though there were better players than me and, and somehow made it right to the top level but I was amazed that some of these players hadn't and when I look back it, it is it's up here it was it was not totally up here but the desire to get yourself fitter, that comes from here. The desire to win that tackle, win that header, this all comes from here. This isn't your skillful doing a crow turn and pass it. That's the basic stuff down here. But like you say, the uh, and the and the resilience to build and and I would never heard the the term resilience until probably late in my twenties, but realized that growing up in Blackburn and taking the hard knocks that I took, and, and it's not an easy place to grow up, you know, going on the street playing with my brother boys with the ball and you play against them and you end up in maybe a little tussle that all built me up to be this resilient guy and so that may be the environment a lucky lucky place to grow up in as well for me but um definitely mark's right you know there's so many better players than me around talented but i think desire wise i'll give everyone a go and is that why you feel you have a natural affinity with several players you have at Wickham and have had over the years who've been rejected by other clubs and you think I've spot something in there I, I, I've got an affinity with that player I know that they can make it absolutely absolutely love seeing that in players you know and, and that is um, whether it's um, me being able to spot it because that was me or maybe I've just got this knack of being able to spot these rough diamonds I think probably more the former because that was me once Players like your Alex Samuel, Curtis Thompson, these boys were told in League Two they weren't good enough to make it. Um, they're playing in the Championship, I mean, and playing well in the Championship. It's it's just fills me with pride to see these guys that were told once, no, no, you just like I was, you weren't good enough. Um, it's uh, it's awesome, you know, and, and even the big man Hacking Fenway, you know, he's uh, he's again told that he was too big to play, told he'd never make it, and. And at League Two, when they got promoted at Wimbledon, was told, look, I think that's as far as you can take us. We won't be in the championship if it wasn't for him. And, and again, his story for me resonates as much as the Samuels and the Thompsons and the younger boys I've got. So, not oh, awesome. He still thinks he'll be in Liverpool's Champions League squad soon, doesn't he? <laughs> he still thinks there's one more chapter in that story. Yeah. No, I don't know. I think there's, a, believe me, there's a lot of chapters left in yeah. the story. And I, we'll see him. Um, in I'm a celebrity or whatever it was. He, he, yeah, yeah. It. he is charismatic. That guy is awesome, but um, he, he channels it in such a good way. Yeah. Four years ago, I stood in front of you and I was technically unemployed. Four years ago, I was here and I was technically unemployed. That's correct. And what do you say? Let me tell you something. The only person that can hit me up on WhatsApp this time is Klopp. So we can celebrate together. You get me?
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Sukarnov. On WrestleMe this week, we talked about the worst way to accept a Hall of Fame award. They were just trying to, you suck it. You suck, and then he pours milk over, <laughs> oh, milk over what his head. What is this? Pouring milk over yourself is absolutely something that, if you did it once in any scenario, people would never forget it. <laughs> we were just having Christmas dinner, and, and like, you know, he just poured two litres of milk over himself. Or if you're more in the mood for some awkward anecdotes, Alex shared his experience with the cast of Event Horizon on this week's Clash of the Titles. We meet Smitty, played by Sean Pertwee, a man who I bumped into in a bar having never interviewed and literally chewed his ear off, trapped him in a corner of a booth where he couldn't actually stand up and get away from me and talk to him incessantly about this film. Later on in the night, his wife said to me, Sean's outside if you want to carry on talking to him about Event Horizon. (laughs) (laughs) All that and more at Sukarnov. Again, life is all about taking opportunities. You might think you'll go down a certain path and something happens. When you when you were at QPR, and I think you said you were training to be a physio, is that right? And Luigi yeah, De Canio yeah. was the manager. And because your wife's Venezuelan, you speak some Spanish and you ended up being an interpreter. Was that like a was that a real seminal moment in your career? So you're going down one path and then he says something to you and you're going, Oh, actually, maybe this management or coaching yeah. path. <laughs> It's true that I wanted to be a physio. I spent so long in the treatment room at Wimbledon when I had my move to the Premier League. I thought, you know enough about the body now, Gareth. Let's, uh, and I wanted to stay in football. I loved football. I loved fitness. Um, but when Luigi took over, yeah, he couldn't speak a word of English, you know. And, and he uh, he had a great brand of football, but he used to he used to try and get his point across. And I'd understand a few of the words, and I think I know what he's trying to say here. But so I stepped up and said, look, I do speak some Spanish um, and Italian Spanish very close. I'll start translating to the boys and, and he'd watch me translate and I wouldn't translate exactly, but I'd say it in a way that footballers would understand. At the end of the season, he came to me and said, look, guys, he said, uh, 
take your badges. He said, you've got a great way about the players. He said, you know about the game. He said, I've heard some of the stuff you've said. It's not been exactly what I've said, but you've got the boys to do it. And and he so he he was the one really who said to me, get into it. Because I, I was one of those players, Mike, that I'd come in at half time sometimes and, and some of my midfielders would be saying, well, that guy in the pocket, he's causing the problems. And I'd be like, I haven't seen this in the game. I'm, I'm, I just want to get past my fullback and get a crossing, you know. Who's, who's the guy in the pocket? What formation are they playing, you know? So as a player, very sort of tunnel vision about myself, what I wanted to do. Um, so I've had to learn the tactical side. I've had to look and really, and I think that's helped as well, really know that I was nowhere near a coach, but worked really hard to be a coach and worked really hard and still working hard, you know, there's some fantastic magic. And again, just like I was as a player, there's a lot better managers than me, but um, I worked my socks off to do it. But you feel the one-on-one, the little word here and there, is as important as any tactical acumen that you Absolutely. have? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you know, if, if uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm obviously glass half full, everyone knows that without a shadow of a doubt. And uh, I can get these players not get them. I can, I can make them feel like they can achieve things that even they don't believe they can achieve, you know, and, and I've got this knack because people did it to me. And, and it's so important that if you, if you treat them like just they are, then that's what they'll be. But if you treat them like what they could be, they'll, they'll aspire to that. And, and it's, it's so important. It's such an important weapon here again. We're back to this, but that's, uh, that's why I'll have these little one-to-one chats. So I get my lawn players and I make sure I sit them down on a Monday go through their clips with them and say, right, what do you think you could have done better? Well, I know you can do that better. And I've seen you do that. I've and and they go out the room thinking, I can do this, you know, and, and that's that's important rather than going out the room going, oh, I hope I don't do that again because you didn't like that. I want them to go, I can do this. I can go and do this. I then do, do do what he wants, you know, so that's my style, yeah. But interesting because the, the first person I did in this series was Stuart Pearce and he said Brian Clough wasn't, you know, a tactical genius, but what his strength was, what you've just described, just a little word, a little thumbs yeah. up, just a tiny little word. You know, it might be about how he defended that day or whatever. So I think I think the point I'm trying to make is I think to, particularly today, because we have such brilliant tactical dissection on the television you know Gary yeah. Neville and Jamie Carrick they do it absolutely brilliantly Brilliant. Yeah. I think yeah. I think I think we all think that football is 100% about tactics all the time and then we look back at that era Brian Clough even probably early Alex Ferguson and go actually there's a huge amount of man management in there we mustn't just completely be befuddled by the whole thing's a tactical race rather than actually as you say a mental thing and a man management thing that's yeah. that's as much a key as anything, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. The amount of teams that said in the press last year before games, and I'm still saying it now, we know exactly what Wickham do. We know exactly how they play. Well, stop us then. How come they can't stop someone like Akin Pema? How come they can't, if they know that, because these these guys, they're on that pitch, they're, they're together, they're superhuman when they're together. And, and these moments, these human moments, will outweigh the tactical moments any day of the week. They really will do, you know. And I totally agree with you. I think there's some fantastic tacticians about. And I I, I look in awe at, at your Pep Guardiola's and your, and your Jose Mourinho's. You know, I look, I look in awe at Jurgen Klopp sometimes. But I think Klopp also is very much on the human side like like me. I really do, you know. When he ran on, I can't remember, was it last year, the year before, when he ran on to celebrate with his keeper. Remember that? When he yes, ran on yeah, the pitch yeah, yeah, and yes, jumped on his yeah, keeper. Yeah, yes, yes. 
Yeah, I, I'd do. I'd do that. Yeah, yeah. No, no, <laughs> he's very few. Right, you know, yeah. So, yeah. Um, you only have to see the way he hugs his players on the full-time yeah. whistle to and, see and, what it and, is with and him. That's with the thing. And, and if you come into Wickham Wanderers training ground on a Monday morning, win, lose, or draw, the music will be on. I'll be, I'll be in the gym, and they'll know I'm in the gym because I'll be super positive. Come on, boys! Woo! Here we go! Uh, and another, a new week. There's no. Let's all right. Let's look at the problems. Let's see what happened. Let's. We know we can solve these problems. Not. This is not good enough. It's 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 totally the opposite, and and that's that's the way I'll do it, and that's the way I, I stand by it. Yeah. So six years ago, as I said in the intro, you went to Torquay on the last day, and you could have easily gone down and out of the football league altogether, back into the conference. You, you wrote that you felt very calm that morning, even before the game. That that had you made a a sort of mental switch in your own mind about how you are going to approach management thereafter, yeah. even before you know the match? Um, yes, yes, definitely. But it was almost like, if I get away with this, I have to change. Um, but I focus, I've got to focus totally on this, you know, and I, and I said to the boys about um, about other teams that needed results, if we can score early, what it would do to them, again, the mental side of things. And of course that happened. Um but I just that week, I I convinced myself we were going to win and we were going to stay up. And I convinced myself it's one one of my my finest weeks I think to try and convince myself, even though everything else was against us. With the smallest club, we uh, we had the, the, the smallest budget. We probably had the players who weren't as good as the other clubs, and we were away from home and we needed a miracle. But I can still convince myself that week because I thought to myself, if I convince myself and I come in every day saying we're going to do this. Sooner or later, the players are going to start thinking. The first day, they might think, what an idiot. The second day, they might think, what an idiot, but he's still going on about it. The third day, you know, we might do this. The fourth day, the Thursday, you know what? I'm, I'm with the gaffer, you know, on the fifth. And the, and the Saturday, I woke up that morning, and and this is a true story as well. I woke up, we stay in hotels. For some reason, I had the most fantastic room, just looking totally out on the Atlantic Ocean, um, right on the seafront. And I looked out, and it was absolute mill pond, as calm as you like. And I just thought, I just thought then, we're going to do this today. We are going to do this. It's just all these little moments. Went to the boys, said it. And then, as you say, we we um, we changed after that game as a whole, as a staff. I changed the whole way I managed. And I thought to myself, you've got away with that one, Gareth. You've got to now change and become, still be you, but you've got to make some changes. In the Football League, since the start of the 1993-94 season, Wickham Wanderers. They don't want to give that up, and they want a third! Are they going to get it? McClure! With a beautiful lob over the goalkeeper. Well, those Wickham supporters are celebrating because they know it's all over at the Memorial Ground. Bristol Rovers have been beaten. Wickham victorious. They are staying up. And look what it means to Gareth Ainsworth. It is all over here. And the celebrations can start for Wickham Wanderers. They will stay in the football league. Well, so, what did you? What, what have you changed? What, what did um, you so, change, so as, changed as a result? I changed from tra- tracksuit to suit because I've been a player and I went to manager and I stayed in my kit in my tracksuit and I just thought that I'm not really a massive fan of going of suit and tracksuit because we are football managers, so kits kits fine to wear. But I thought I need to make a visual change here. Get your get your get your jacket on, get your shirt on, make that change because you're known as Gareth, who'd always be there for the lads and would be in with the banter. And all. 
you can't, you, you've got to change now. So visual change was there. The mental change was right. It's gaffer now. I'm not Gaz anymore because people were still calling me Gaz. And I, even those little things I thought would change the mentality. And then the decisions that I had to make, I'd played with these players um, that I took over and I had to get rid of some. And some even played for me at Torquay. I had to get rid of them and go, right, I don't believe that these will these will take us forward. I have to get players in in my style. They they might take someone else forward. That's not. But for me, the way I want to do things, I have to change, and I had to change quite a few of the playing staff as well. And thankfully, we we haven't looked back, and um, and we've had success throughout ever since. Um, but it was a real a real rude awakening that. And I think Nigel Pearson had one at Carlisle um, long time ago as well. And and I've had the same thing. And no matter, yeah, he was there on the Jimmy Glass day, actually, wasn't he? he? Was, yeah, 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 he was. Yeah. But no matter what manager comes up against me, and no matter how well some of these guys do it, and some go straight in at the top and, and, and they stay at the top, to have that day in 92nd in the Football League, or 91st in Turkey when I second, to have that day, I think he's one of the best things that ever happened to me. It really is, you know, and uh, and I'll, I'll, always, I'll always cherish that day. Can you compare that elation to beating Oxford and getting into the championship? <laughs> um, it is a different elation, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, the, the, the Oxford one was on the culmination of that six years since then of, uh, of just a build and a build. And, uh, and we actually turned to each other. We said, what have we done? That's what me and my assistant manager said to us. What have we done? Like it was, like it was unheard of, which it, it really is. Um, but that was, uh, it was a different, but it was, um, it was a fantastic occasion that night, you know, and again, one of the nights I'll never ever forget, you know, to see some of the boys in tears, literally in tears, um, like you see at the end of films sometimes when it's been staged in Hollywood, people on their phone and crying and, and hugging and that. It was, it was so genuine because there was no fans there, Mark. Nobody ran off to celebrate with their own personal friends or family. It was just us together. And I remember Wembley stewards that night saying, it was about 11.30, 11.40 and they're saying, please, please, we can go home because no, nobody usually celebrates this long at Wembley. Usually go off somewhere, but we were yeah. still there yeah. and they were, please, we need to lock up. So it was, it was a brilliant night. Taylor, Wheeler, tried to add another playoff final goal. He'd have been far better running to the corner as we still play. Stewart came to win it. Wicker! I mean, of course, it's it's such a shame you can't have fans in in your in your ground at the moment. Um, uh, no one can have fans. I wonder if you feel. I'm just looking at the places where you've played as a player. You played at Port Vale. You played at Lincoln. You played at Walsall. Some on loan. Uh, you know, you obviously mentioned Preston. You really realise how important these clubs are to their communities, don't don't you, Gareth? Particularly at the Sorry. moment when things financially are so tight for them. And all we can do is keep our fingers crossed to be blunt that none of them go to the wall. Because if they do, Absolutely. that is a pillar of the community that goes, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, football in this country is is a religion. It really is. It's uh, it's it's so important to people's lives. You know, people will go, it affects people. It affects their mood for the week. It, it is 
a pillar. It's it's their safety net. I've got my music. This is some people's safety net. This game, and and I think that it's uh, it's so important for, without football. Honestly, it hasn't been the same for me. Without fans, this game is not the same. It really isn't the same. And and for the first seven games, we lost them all. I'd have probably be getting a lot of stick, but I still missed that. That might have put me on my toes a little bit more. So we we definitely are missing the fans in football. It is it is their safety net. It is what they need and. I can't wait till they're back. Honestly, being bluntly honest, I cannot wait till they're back. I, I, I thrived off the fans. You, some players used to say, oh, "I don't. The fans don't affect me. I don't hear them. I don't." I'm thinking, seriously, you're lying, or there's something wrong with me because I hear every little shout, every big song. You know, when your name's getting sung or when you score, and you and you, there's no better feeling, honestly. So these fans, they, they they drive this game, you know, and the energy between the players and the fans is something spectacular for me. So come back soon when it's safe. I hope um, we can get them back. I in. mean, some, I mean, quite often you're driven by the opposition fans giving you a hard time. Yeah, I mean, course, I remember yeah. I, I asked this, I did an interview with Jose Mourinho the other day. We'll get to your cup tie in a second. And I said, how much are you missing and all this? And I said, even, even the away fans, he went, oh, I loved it when the coach drew up at, Man City, it doesn't matter if he's managing Man United, Chelsea or Tottenham. You know, he said, I loved all that, seeing all their fans, because it's part of what makes this game so great. So you miss Absolutely. that as much. as Well, you should miss that as a player as much. Somebody giving you stick from the opposition terraces. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's the proven wrong um, comes yeah. into it then. And, and um, you know, I, 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 always, I always enjoy the opposition fans. I always enjoy what they... And, and do you know what? If a team does well and they beat you and the opposition fans are celebrating and sometimes I'm in awe of the opposition going, they've, they've been so good today. They've got to be on their team so well today, you know? And you have to, at the end of the day, we're in this same umbrella of football, you know? So, um, no, it is it is it is a big loss, honestly, a real big loss. And, and to managers, you know, I've, I've had some some great stories over the years with fans and obviously the long hair and the and the look sometimes <laughs> is an easy target, but if they can take the, uh, take the pressure off the boys, then I'll take it all day. So, um, you, you gave Tottenham a real scare at this stage three or four years ago when Maurizio Pochettino was in charge the fourth round. Now you've got Jose. That's going to be great, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, I've got a huge amount of respect for this guy. You know, I think, um, again, he's for, forever being followed around with the publicity and the press and everything. I think he handles it superbly, superbly well. What he's achieved, um, again, he's, he's just phenomenal in football. You know, really is. You know, when you look at his... His, his trophies and his awards and his, his accolades. Um, for me to be on, and I, and I really mean this, for me to be on the same, I mean, what is it, benches, the same bench, just 10, 20 yards apart as Jose Marino, it's an honour. It really is, you know, and it's it's something that, I, like when I played, and I played on the same pitch as, as somebody, you know, Patrick Vieira or Frank LeBerth, who'd just come back from winning the World Cup. These, these, were, these are moments that, that, they stay with you. And so to, to have that, to be against someone of that help, believe me, we're going to give it our all and we're going to, we're going to be the Wickham that we can be. Um, but again, I'll, I'll, I'll really pinch myself and think, you know what? Wow. This is a, the lad from Blackburn's not done too bad. Here. Yeah. Cause he's a bit of a, he's a bit, well, let, let's sort of end where we began with music. Cause he's a bit of a rock star, really Jose, isn't he? And it's no surprise that so many musicians appears to be, want to be footballers and so many footballers yeah. would love to be musicians. And of course there's a natural analogy there of adulation and playing to the crowd and so forth. But there really, there does appear to be that synergy, doesn't there? Between yeah. football and yeah. rock stars. There, 
Yeah, totally. And, and like you say, it's the obviously the, the the extrovert in us all, you know, and the performing in front of a crowd. But there's also some creativity in it as well that that probably goes on on tapped into here that you know the ways the, the way the brain works and what people want to see and what people want to hear and 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 so it, I mean it's going to be awesome you know and uh, they say Jose, Jose has got uh, he's got this reputation of being this this flamboyant guy and it almost could be a rock star himself so you know really like I say we'd be proud to welcome him to Wickham and hopefully we can uh, we can get the result. So my lockdown musical lesson from you, Gareth, is what? You said a bit of early Led Zepp. Is that what it is? Because I've got a list. Uh, I'm working my way through. A lot of suggestions from various <laughs> musical friends of mine. Happy to add early Led Zepp to my list. Yeah, Led Zeppelin one. You can't go too wrong with that album. So yeah. uh, you, get, you get that uh, from cover to cover. I think you'll be, uh, you'll be happy, man. <laughs> Brilliant. Gareth, listen, it's been great to catch up with you. Thank you very much indeed. It's a really wonderful story. And stay well. Your family stay well. And we look forward to that cup tie in particular. Likewise, thank you, Mike. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creative Network. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,